I mentioned before, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, first of all, to Proverbs chapter 18. And uh, we read some wonderful uh, things in chapter 17. Some things, I think, are wonderful. Some things were not so good. There were some warnings and some, some issues there. And I think that's very typical of, of uh, people's lives today, and especially uh, parents, fathers, children, and so forth. But I want you to notice with me as we began this morning, uh, looking at Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1. It's really not my text, but it's kind of an introduction to what I want to talk about this morning. It says in Proverbs 18 and verse 1, through desire, that is greed, lust, Through desire, a man having separated himself, that is, estranged himself from God and man, seeketh, that is, driven by self-gratification, and intermeddleth, that is, quarrels, rages, and exposes himself, with all wisdom, that is, wise instruction and sound judgment. Through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Now, in reading that particular verse, it brings to mind the picture of a father struggling with a prodigal son or daughter. We find that back in Luke chapter 15, and the story is all too familiar. A child grows up in a home where they enjoy all the love their loving parents have provided, and, and yet rather than having a heart of gratitude, the child becomes resentful and demanding. Their self-indulgent appetite is never satisfied and their sinful attitudes become a barrier to the love and the affection of their parents. They are estranged from God and their loved ones. And giving rein to sinful lusts and passions, they rage against their parents and they counsel, the counsel uh, and the attempts to call them back from their path of destruction. I want you to notice here, it is desire that came between them and God. It's their demand for self-gratification that ignites the conflict between them and their loved ones. They attack the authorities in their life, and their blind and callous to the reality of their sinful lusts have driven the wedge between them and their parents. What's the lesson here? Well, the nature of sin puts a person at odds with wisdom and instruction. Look at verse 2. It says, A fool hath no delight, that is, no desire or pleasure in understanding. Understanding is reason or discretion. But his heart, that is, his mind, his thoughts, the seat of his understanding, may discover, or we could say uncover, strip away itself. A fool is bullheaded, and headstrong. A fool is driven by greed and lust, lacking discretion. Someone has said the double trouble of a fool is that his closed mind and he has an open mouth. Now stop and think what manner of man or woman you have become, or as a young person, you are becoming. I wonder this morning, do you value wisdom and instruction? Are you guarding your heart and thoughts by choosing friends and acquaintances that love the Lord. Now, this proverb, or 
these uh, Proverbs here in chapter 17 and verse 18 talk about wise people and fools. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about who are the wise. Now most of us know that the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And my intent is not to preach necessarily, although I've already kind of done some preaching already uh, from Proverbs here, but not to preach on this book of wisdom, but to speak of wisdom and being wise, and especially for our fathers and grandfathers. Of course, the book of Proverbs has much to say about wisdom for all of us, young people, moms, and dads, especially fathers. If there is a great need in our world today, it's godly wisdom. If there's a great need for this preacher, it's a need of godly wisdom. It's a need of each one of you today, especially those of you that are called Father. Now, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And certainly Nehemiah knew what he, that he needed the wisdom of God. But Nehemiah was not a preacher or a prophet, but he was an ordinary man whom God used to accomplish a great task. And as I thought about this, I could not help but think of my own dad. You know, it's hard to me to realize this morning that it's been over 20 years since he went to be with the Lord. And as I think of him, he too was a builder. He was a builder like Nehemiah. First, he built houses and cabinets as he worked as a carpenter. And then he became a builder of roads for most of his life. Well, early in my childhood, probably when I was between four, five years old, my dad was leaving home for a summer day on his job as a carpenter. I was playing outside, and when he came out of the house, he got into his 1936 Chevy pickup, and I've forgiven him for that, but... He was driving a 1936 Chevy pickup to work. And if you know anything about those vintage, they weren't vintage back then, but they are now. Uh, They have running boards on the side. And one, our driveway came kind of from the street and went to the back of the house. And I was playing there on this summer morning, a beautiful summer morning. I was sitting there on the running board of his pickup. And I thought, you know, as he comes out of the house, he didn't see me sitting there, but he came out and he got in the pickup. And I said, you know, I'm just going to ride from here to the street and I'll jump off and I'll wave goodbye. Well, he didn't know I was there and he didn't stop. He just kept on going. He made a left-hand turn onto the street and he went down about a quarter of a mile, made a right-hand turn on a dirt road. And I'm hanging on for dear life. Finally, the dust got too much for me, and I decided, you know, I better let him know that I'm here. (laughs) So I grabbed the bottom of the open window, and I lifted up myself and looked into his very surprised eyes. And... uh, course he stopped the pickup immediately and for some reason I can't remember what happened next (laughs) 
I do know that my writing the running board story appeared in the newspaper. By the way, had I not let my dad know that I was there, I may not be here to tell you the story because just another quarter mile up, he would have made a left-hand curve that would have, because of the centrifugal force, thrown me into the ditch, and I may not be here to tell you the story. You know, as I've thought about that incident in my life, and of course, there was no selfie cameras for me to take a picture of myself there. <laughs> so I later had to draw the picture as I remembered it. And, uh, but I thought that, you know, it's a picture of life. Many people are outside of Christ. They're hanging on to their religion of good works. They're hanging on to their religion of false doctrine, their religion of humanism and psychology, and they're going to be cast into an everlasting darkness unless they put their trust in Jesus Christ. But you know, it's also a picture of the Christian life. Many who profess Christ as their Savior are out of God's will. And they need to get back and put their lives into God's hands before God allows something drastic to happen. Now, if you take your, your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, this is really our text this morning. As we take a little break from our study in Nehemiah, because of this Father's Day, I want to talk about being wise or foolish. And I want to ask you this morning, especially you who are fathers, who are the wise? You notice me with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, but wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Who are the wise? First of all, those who accept Christ as their Savior. Psalm 53 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And from a, as from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now I am so thankful today. I thank God for a Christian home. I thank God I was raised in a Christian home. I thank God for a dad who loved the Lord. I'm thankful for a dad who took his family to church. I'm thankful that for a dad who had a family altar. That is, you know what a family altar is? That's when the family gets together and reads the Bible and prays together. We don't know what that is, maybe. It's not called that by many people today. But a family altar, a time of Bible reading and prayer. I'm thankful for a dad who spanked his children. And I think he even spanked some of his grandchildren. Now, that's getting to be a foreign concept today, isn't it? Everybody's afraid of social services. and You know what? My dad, even when I had done something wrong, and I know it's hard for you to believe that I was naughty, but I was 
on one occasion not doing something right. And my dad says, come in with me to the bedroom. And, and he used a belt. He never abused me, but he didn't spank me. He, uh, he gave me the opportunity to be straightened out. But this time, he handed the belt to me. And he lay down on the bed and he said, you spank me. Ever heard about or heard someone say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? Well, he was putting that literally, trying to put it in. I don't know if I ever did spank him or not. But he wanted me to spank him for what I had done. I'm thankful for a dad like that. I'm thankful that he loved me enough to discipline me when I was wrong. I'm thankful that he loved his grandchildren. I'm thankful that he loved his sons-in-law and his daughters-in-law like they were his own. I'm thankful that he gave advice when needed and asked for. And I'm thankful that he was an example and a blessing to everyone he came in contact with. My dad brought us up in an atmosphere where we regularly heard the word of God and he gave us every opportunity to be saved. My dad knew that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, there are some things in the Bible that are not easy to understand. I understand that. And yet God has made the way of salvation so simple that even a child can understand it. God's plan for salvation was plain and simple for about 2,000 years And yet, so many times today, we have a focus change from individuals being genuinely born again to reaching crowds, and we began to experience the promotion of the common salvation that Jude warned us about in Jude chapter 1, verse 3, and the perverted gospel that Paul warns us about in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 7. But I want you to just think with me this morning just a little bit here. We may have some young people, we may have someone here that's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But salvation begins with hearing the Word of God. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Romans 10 and verse 4 says, How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Luke 8, verse 13, they on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Acts 15 and verse 7 says, the Gentiles by my mouth shall hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so salvation begins with hearing the word of God. And then we notice the way of salvation. In Luke 8, 12, it says, those by the wayside are they that hear Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they believe and be saved. Here's the parable of the soils there in Luke chapter 8. We also know that Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then you notice the Holy Spirit then convicts the sinner of his sin. John 16, 8 and 9 says, When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, because they believe not on me. 
Romans 2, 4, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Acts eleven eighteen, they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. 2 Timothy 2.25, God peradventure will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth. And so salvation begins with the hearing of the word, and we know that there is a way of salvation, and the Holy Spirit convicts the sinner of sin, and then the sinner either repents or rejects, either repents or rejects the reproving of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Mark 1.15, Repent ye and believe the gospel. Luke 13 and verse 3, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. And then in verse 5, he says the same thing, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Repentance is simply responding in a positive way to the Holy Spirit, when we are convicted of sin, and there's not a person in this world who is saved if he or she did not repent of their sin when convicted by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today and not sure about your salvation. And you've been fooling yourself into thinking your good works, your church membership, or your Christian parents are enough to save you. It was as a nine-year-old boy that I came to realize that God so loved the world, and that word world included this nine-year-old boy, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who are the wise? Those who accept Christ as their Savior. Secondly, those who understand the will of God. Ephesians 5 and verse 17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now there are four major decisions that you make in your life. Number one is salvation. We've just talked about salvation. God is not willing that any should perish. But you know what? The decision is going to be yours. You're either going to, as I said before, accept or reject the working of the Holy Spirit. My dad was saved at a young age. I was saved at a young age. I thank God for that. I don't have many of the regrets that some of you have who were saved later in life. And that's why I pray for my grandchildren to be saved. That's why I pray for our children here at Spooner Baptist Church to be saved. So they can learn what it really means to be a Christian. and They can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And then if God so chooses, he can give them many, many years of service in his harvest field. That's a major decision in your life. Probably the most important decision, either to accept or reject what Christ has done for you. Another major decision in life is education. It's important to grow in the Lord. It's important to learn the word of God. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. My dad only went to school through the 10th grade, but he learned to work hard. Now, I'm all for education. I'm all for going to school when God gives you the opportunity to do that. But my dad was self-taught in many things. He learned Many, many things. His carpentry work was high quality. His road building skills were top notch. He became a foreman of a road construction crew and he knew how to lead men and he learned how to do the math of road building without a college education. He could build a smooth, straight road with the best of them and when a curve in the road was needed, he could operate a transit and he could figure the slope of the road and and its ditches. He didn't let just a 10th grade education stop him. He continued to learn. And sometimes God would have us to go to school and sometimes he'd go to he'd have us to learn other ways. God may give you the opportunity young person as a uh, to go to college as he did to me or he may not. In either case it's not God's will to be lazy and slothful. It's not God's will to expect everything to be handed to you without hard work and diligence. Whether God leads you to go to to college or not, that's between you and God. But it's a major decision you make in your life. There's also the decision of your occupation. What are you going to be when you grow up? Bob? Bob? What are you going to be when you grow up? He hadn't decided yet. <laughs> He's in his second child, that's right. You know, wherever you go, whatever God leads you to do, whatever your life's work, you need to dedicate it to God. We heard of that from our missionary last week. God's used him, using him in a different way than he would probably most missionaries. The Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, be, to God and the Father by Him. Now, I might be a little bit biased, but I believe my dad was the best road grader operator in the state of Kansas. And he worked hard and he provided for his family. And I don't have much patience with fathers who don't work or won't work when they're physically able to and they just want to depend upon the government to meet their needs. And listen, the problem is that many men are lazy today. They won't do what they need to do to get a job, even if it means not earning much per hour to begin with. In Luke 16.10, it says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have been faithful in an unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And we've heard it said here before, take what God has given to you and use it for His glory. God may want you to be a road builder like my dad. He did it for God's glory. He may want you to be a, a, a storekeeper, a work in a, 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 a store. He may want you to work on computers. Whatever it is, do it for God. 
Use it as a testimony, a witness that God intends each one of us to have. Now, maybe you have a skill of doing something illegal. Don't do that, please. Don't go against God's word, but be the best carpenter, the best road builder you can be for the glory of God. There's another important decision that we make, and that's our life's partner. And we live in an age of promiscuous living, divorce, broken families, and it's not right, it's not biblical. Now, God may have for you a life's partner if you're not married, or he may not. But don't be fooled by lust and think it's love. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye abstain from fornication. Ephesians 5.3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I'm thankful for my mom and my dad. And they they didn't always agree. I'm sure, as was testified about Ken and Sandy last Sunday, uh, it didn't show that they didn't agree. But I'm sure there were some rough times. There were some discussions. But you know what? They were committed to each other for life. Committed to each other for life. Now, you may ask, well, how can I know God's will for my life? Well, number one, obey God's written will. Right here it is. Many, many places it says, this is the will of God. Obey it. And if you're not willing to obey the obvious will of God, why would He reveal anything else to us? But we must agree to do God's will before He'll re- reveal anything else. Acts 9, 6, Saul, who became Paul, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? God's will is not a menu from which we can choose whatever fits our will. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And trusting the Lord is a prerequisite to knowing His will. Psalm 7 and verse 1 says, O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. And then secondly, find a Bible principle to follow. Though we may not find a specific verse or passage of Scripture that fits our life situation, we can find Bible principles that will help us determine God's will for our lives today. Psalm 119 and 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. And then thirdly, seek godly counsel that God has put into your life. Proverbs 11 and verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. Proverbs 1.5, a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Number four, delight in the Lord. 
God has promised to put his desires into the heart of a person who delights in him. That's what it means when it says in Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. In other words, God is going to put the right desires in your heart when you delight in him. And then get direction from the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Romans eight sixteen, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. And then finally, get confirmation from the Trinity. Three green lights to knowing the will of God. God the Father, you look at the providence of God in your life. God the Son, you look at the Word. God the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And then the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is always in total harmony with the Word of God. Who are the wise? They that understand the will of the Lord. And then thirdly, those who shine and turn many to righteousness. Daniel 12.3 says, And they that be wise shall shine in the brightness of the firmament, and they shall turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. I think about my dad again, how he was a light that shone in this, this dark, wicked world. Was he perfect? No. But he was a man who made friends and was a testimony to the goodness of God in his life. You know, if you weren't my dad's friend, it was your own fault. He lived his faith and his Christianity in his friendliness, in his rescue mission work, in his church work, in his community work. He did what he could with the skills and the personality that God gave him, and it made this world a better place. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Acts 1.8, Jesus promised that we would receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon us, and ye sh shall be witnesses unto me. And if we're not witnessing for him, it's obvious the Holy Spirit's not in charge. And sometimes our fearfulness stems from the fact of concerning who's in control of our lives. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given you the spirit of fear but power and of love and a sound mind. Ephesians 3.16, Be strengthened with the might of his, by His Spirit. Romans 15.13, That ye may abound through the power of the Holy Ghost. Romans 15.19, By the power of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, In my speech and my preaching and demonstration of the Spirit and power. 1 Corinthians 2.5, That your faith should stand, not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 2 Corinthians 2.5, that the power may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 13.10, according to the power which the Lord hath given me. Let's be honest, if we are using the excuse of fear, we have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. John 14.21, Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, it is he that loveth me. If you truly love someone, you'll want to do all you can to please them. Now that's true, humanly speaking, I believe, as well. Young people, if you say, I love mom, I love dad, then you'll want to do things that please them. And if you as a Christian say, I love God, I love the Lord, then you're going to do what 
is going to please him. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Who are the wise? Those who shine and turn many to righteousness. And then those who present their body to the Lord. Again, you go back to Ephesians chapter 5. It says in verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Whose fool are you this morning? Are you living for God or self? Are you living for God or living for this world? 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. The Bible says if you become a fool for God, then you'll be considered wise. Serving Christ may not be the most popular thing to do, but it's the right thing. Don't be a fool for the devil. If you're not saved this morning, repent of your sin and ask Jesus to save you. And Christian, don't be a fool for temporal things. Dedicate your life to your Savior and be a fool for him. Who are the wise? Those who accept Christ as their Savior. Those who understand the will of the Lord. Those who shine and turn many to righteousness. And those who present their body to the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. I thank you, first of all, Lord, for salvation. As a young boy, I was able to trust Christ as my Savior because I was given the opportunity to hear the Word of God on a regular basis. I thank you for my godly parents who enabled me to be in church, Sunday school and worship services, Vacation Bible School, steady diet of the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, and I trust, Lord, that there's someone here this morning that has never put their faith and trust in you, that even the use of the Word of, the word of God this morning, the, the quoting of these scriptures, the reading of the a passage, Lord, will speak to their hearts, that God the Holy Spirit will, will convict and they will either make that choice to reject or re, uh, um, receive the gift. Lord, our desire is that they come to know Christ. But Lord, the choice is theirs. We can't make them trust Christ. But Lord, you can work in their hearts and we pray that you'll do so. I pray, Lord, as Christians, as believers, as moms and dads and grandparents, Our desire would be to please you in everything we do and say. Lord, we have children and grandchildren that need to be saved. And we pray, Lord, that we'll be faithful in praying for them. Being faithful to give them every opportunity to hear the word of God. 
And we pray, Lord, that our lives will be examples to them of doing the things that please you. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we could be listed among the wise rather than the fools. And we pray, Lord, that our lives will not be separated from you or from even our families because of some foolish decisions that we make, some foolish actions that we take. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to do things your way. And so, Lord, as we close this morning, perhaps there's someone here that needs to make a decision. We just pray, Lord, that you'll work in their hearts. I'm going to ask you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, to stand to your feet. We're not going to sing. We're going to have the instruments play. If God's spoken to your heart in any way, 